Crash Chords Podcast. I'm Matt. I'm John. And I'm Steve. Um, for those who were confused last week, if you listened to our episode with Nelson, I forgot to introduce us. So if you've forgotten between that week and this week, we've now reintroduced no, ourselves. No, then you have bigger problems. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> that is true. That's called Alzheimer's. Yes. Well, short-term disease, actually. actually. Well, no, that would be short-term, but maybe at this age, I don't know. We know our age bracket, so let's, fit. let's not use the yeah, word yeah, Alzheimer's. That's yeah, that's a good point. Um, because not everyone is actually as old as your soul is. Exactly. Right. I'm, I'm the only one that gets to have Alzheimer's. Um, Deserves it, Frank. <laughs> what are we talking about? Good point. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, this week we're taking on another fan pick. It's our good friend Jose has uh, shot us with another suggestion. Um, and so we're going to do an album that he had uh, sent to us. Uh, Steve had actually been in communication with him via email about it. Mm-hmm. That was about uh, a month ago. Apologies for the delay, Jose. I know, that, as I explained at the end of last week, uh, we were not able to do your original suggestion, which was the 2011 album of Arctic Monkeys, uh, Suck It and See. <laughs> which, well, I'm, I'm kind of glad we didn't have to go through that title and all the disclaimers that would go with it. But at least we got to do something else that is, is fresh. I, I explained our, our deal about doing new albums, just as I explained to Nelson Lugo last week. He brought us a new album. Well, Jose brought us a new album. And this is uh, The Great Pretenders by Mini Mansions. And actually, there's still a, a stray connection here with Arctic Monkeys, and that would be with the um, addition of Alex Turner, who appears as an additional musician, I believe, on a couple of tracks. It's not actually a British band. It's an L.A.-based band, Mini Mansions. But to be honest, they really have a very British sound about them. You, I know, compared them to a few things like Damon Auburn, yeah. like Blur. Mm-hmm. Um, and even to go back even further, there's a lot of Elton influence, I feel, here. Maybe even Beatles on a couple tracks. So they're a little all across the board. And speaking of all across the board, there is, of course, that title, The Great Pretenders, uh, pulled from... Back in the 50s, I think, that title. Not to mention, of course, all the other titles on this album. The Great Pretenders. Almost every single one of them is pulled from some stray existing title going back to the 50s. Uh, We have Vertigo by U2. We have Freak Out, which is actually Le Freak by Chic. Ah. We have The End, Come Again. Kind of a wordplay off of The Doors, The End. Double Vision by Foreigner, and then Heart of Stone, which is Eco, The Rolling Stones, and Cher, if I'm not mistaken. It, it seems like there's a lot of references to different ideas going back way back when. Also, one more thing about the album cover. Really, really love that. The album cover essentially is, is taking um, the plate, the golden record that existed on the 1977 Voyager spacecraft, which is sailing out beyond into interstellar space. It's the only man-made object ever to do so. And it carries this record, and it has a little uh, picture of the spacecraft on it, and uh, a little directions on how to get to Earth if aliens ever find it. And then, of course, there's the record itself, which has the sounds of Earth and lots of other information jam-packed into that record. It's a, like a five-hour-long record. It's a state-of-the-art. It's gold, so that helps. It was also a great way for aliens to come and take over the Earth after they figure out where we are and how weak we are. 
That's right. But it will not get to another star for another 40,000 years. We and, should have time to evolve. Yeah, and frankly, it's not even technically out of the solar system because there's still the Oort cloud and, and, and all that stuff. Still, I, I, I thought of it as a fairly modern album. I think they have a fresh sound. It has some similarities to Arctic Monkeys for sure. It has that punch. It has the pop. And let's get into the specifics. All right. So track one is Freak Out with an exclamation point because I like over-explaining things. Freak Out. Um, thank one, you, Steve. One word. One word. Yeah, and one word, no space. Freak Out. Um, and this... this track and album starts with a really nice groove. I like where it's going already. We've got a, a strong uh, bass line and drum line that kind of really kick, kicks in from the get. It also has a interesting spacey, like a rapid attack with the synth strings, very high in the register, very quick. Uh, already showcasing it's going to be a little, uh, well, not a little, a lot heavy towards the synthesizing because even the drums were more of a synth-driven sound as opposed to a more uh, acoustic, natural-sounding piece. Yeah, it had that in common with pop for sure. And, and frankly, I'm going to be even more broad about this. I think that as a whole, this first track struck me as just really great pop. It's rock pop for sure, but it's pop, at least as of the first track here. And frankly, I kind of love saying that because I'm tired of hating pop. It's cool to hate pop, and I don't like being cool. We noticed. Yeah, cool, yeah. cool is dumb. <laughs> you, you are an expert at not being cool, let's yeah. be honest. Yes. Yeah. Damn proud of it. Anyway, <laughs> it, it's got that, that punch, as I said, that like was present in the Arctic Monkeys, and that was a very pop album when we reviewed that as their last album, uh, AM, which was, I think was already 2013 now. Yeah. But that was kind of a pop-driven album, although it did get a little more experimental in terms of uh, that eerie like envelope that they just put over everything. Sure. This is a little more digestible. And, you know, I, I think it works because I have an indie indie pop, indie rock background. It rings at least of anything in the last decade. And it's enjoyable as an intro, for sure. Uh, Progression-wise, tonality-wise, you're dealing with like a 1-2-4 progression. It's very basic, and along with what both of you said, it's got the steady thump. But there's some moments here. For instance, that little piano insert, that little call and response that appears at the ends of phrases. I really love that. And then finally, one of my favorite uh, breakdowns in the track occurs at 2 minutes, 33 seconds. I absolutely adore this big breakdown. It, it, it steps away from that 1-2-4 progression. We go into this F major 7 chord, this... Uh, this flat 7 chord, because it's really not in the key that we're in here. We're in G major, but this is not in G major. This is a BF sharp. This is in. This is on F. It's a very strange uh, tonality. It's a strange shift. And we get it in terms of this uh, electric keyboard that now has, like, snuffed the air out of everything. It's not as happy-go-lucky. For just these few bars, all of a sudden, it's very, it's very focused, and it's very firm. I don't know. It's, it has a semblance of beauty that I don't normally find in intro tracks. Well, it was also interesting because of that kind of harshness that kind of gave the song character beyond the superficial character that we got from the original tones. But I had I have I have a couple of issues with this track and first is the the chorus. The chorus had a high attack to it, a really heavy high attack on all the instruments that was just grating and didn't feel like it built naturally to it. Felt like a bit of a jump going from the verses to the choruses and it was enough to put make it a little bit off-putting. But besides that, more prevalent for me was the actual vocals. It, it felt that they were just a little bit too weak for all that was going on here. There's a lot of tonal shifts going on. There's a lot of unusual sounds being integrated with one another that you don't expect 
in, in a very natural ambient setting that the vocals just weren't standing up for me. And that's uh, where I'm going to step in and disagree with you. I think that actually owing to the, the Britpop sound, maybe to some of those references that I pulled out there like Damon Auburn, he captures some of the great falsetto that I find in a lot of those bands. And to me, that really did reach out. I, I heard it especially in this breakdown and in, in later portions. It's even something I, I enjoyed amidst the fairly static verses and choruses. Well, also the for vocals me, were a highlight, in other words. Right. For me, ly lyrically, also, the song didn't stand out super big. And it's not because the vocals were kind of buried. I felt like the vocals were playing as an instrument. And considering the words they actually use, it's, I mean, it's not bad lyrics. It's just not extremely poetic either. It's just they're okay lyrics. I've been down, you know, <laughs> I've been down, things like that. I've been and down, was, I get down. That's another sickler for me that the chorus should be strong with all of what's going on, with all of the instrumentation and all the heaviness going on, but it seems to even just recede from where it was in the verses, and that just, just shows that there's just, a, I feel, a lack of emphasis on what's being said. That lack of emphasis means I'm just not going to be engaged with the vocalists themselves. Well, it's important here, I think, to certainly reference the work that we did last week. Because, you know, we like to keep this fresh for continuous or consecutive listeners. Maybe you were listening last week. We had a lot of issues, or at least I had a lot of issues, with uh, the same thing. Because you could barely hear the guy. That would be Benjamin Booker, which uh, Nelson Lugo brought on. And you could barely hear the guy through all of that, that slurring and that, that lazy vocal style. This is something a little different. This is more that, I guess, the falsetto makes it as more of an ethereal instrument as opposed to it really like stepping out. These are the words that I'm saying. Instead, they just expect you to groove along much as last week's album did. But it's, it's, a, it's a different approach that they used in order to disguise it. I think it's just the idea here is that it's not the point. My issue last week is that I felt that it was the point, you know, and you really, those vocals uh, or those lyrics should have stepped out. Here, I, I don't know. I don't know if it's as necessary. Well, I think the main difference with last week was, and I don't want to harp on it too much, but like we were talking, we were comparing them to storyteller singers, and that it felt like it, this had the storyteller vibe, even mm -hmm. though we couldn't understand the words. So yeah. Whereas here, I don't really get a sense of straight storytelling narrative. Exactly. There is a narrative, but I think it's more ethereal, like Steve said. And also, like, I like catching a couple words. It adds a beauty to this track that I didn't really need from hearing every single word and hearing all the lyrics. And that's the essence of indie rock. I mean, if you just take the, the lyrics from the beginning here. Face in the crowd, you're talking too loud, but I can't hear you calling. Your head in the clouds, whatever come out, well, I can't see you crawling while we're out. It's, this is the vagaries that yeah. you find in just about every band in the last, like, 15 years that was in the indie pop scene. I mean you get away with it in a way i think because the idea is really more to rouse you than anything else which is why i was really more struck by the moments in which they did recede and 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 take a more serious tone like that breakdown and it happens again uh toward the end we get another similar breakdown but this time a full-on solo that accompanies it it's the same tone that was there in the the two minutes 33 second breakdown uh the same keyboard tone but here, it, it just goes on its own solo. I absolutely love the warmth of this. Again, as I said, it's like you just sucked the air out of it, and now we're in this, like, vacuum chamber, which doesn't quite make sense, because, of course, you can't no hear anything in a vacuum. Yeah. But that's what the effect of it is like that. It, it's like this spotlight effect, and I absolutely love it. Uh, just to get a solo this early on, and for it to be a classic 1970s electric keyboard solo, I was that was tugging at my heartstrings personally, and I was... 
really forgiving of the otherwise, you know, status quo pop elements of this track. Yeah, I mean, and even those breakdowns could be possibly construed as a little jarring, but I felt like because of the bouncy nature of the song as a whole for the intro track, kind of pulling us out of it like that, almost like knocking the wind out of you, mm -hmm. I thought had an impact. And so even though it was sudden, I kind of was along, I, like I went along with it. And speaking of knocking the wind out of you, that's kind of how the track ends. The, the, the whole tail end of this track is pretty trippy. It's a yeah. lot of like thrashing and it doesn't really end the way you'd think it would end considering the beginning. Yeah. Um, and that leads us into track two, Death is a Girl. Um, I feel like that reminds me of there's a book series where death is actually a woman and not a man. Is that in the Terry Pratchett universe is where death is a girl? Well, I know it's in the Marvel universe. Death is actually a woman in Marvel. That's why Deadpool and Thanos are both trying to woo her. Anyway, oh. back on topic, we're getting a, a, a really another boppy beat, another so, to and fro kind of a beat going in there. It was felt very eighties. It reminded me of Wham a little bit. It's very it, steady, just like straight eighth notes through the ringer. And you're getting some nice synth piano accents going here and there, but the real feature that starts poking through is the bass. It's a very nice, very wandering kind of a bass that is competing but not really superseding the percussion itself. Yeah, it's it's actually pretty steady even with the, the beat. It's it's really not straying beyond it, but it's changing up the root. It's giving you the tonal changes as a bass should do. So, and because I think everything else is so steady, the bass does kind of step forward despite still being with everything else. It's 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 the tonal changes that step out. Um, very bizarre choiring yeah. during this 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 intro segment in the background, it's really to kind of like lay on that ethereal edge that the first track had maybe foreshadowed. Yeah, I agree. I think that, I mean, they, I think it's the connectivity to the first track, yeah, yeah. for sure. And I like also that it it kind of goes from the steadiness to uh, about only a minute into the song, we get a kind of more heavy synth transition that... It's like 8-bit at this point. It very was, strange. Well, it's also prefaced by this very weird hammering guitar piece that, that I think does a good job of bridging that 8-bit transition into the rest of the, the rest of the song itself, but... I'm still not really seeing a lot of innovation going on here. They're really just throwing a lot of unusual tones at us at this point. I will admit that that, that transition point was a bit odd. I don't know that I disliked it, but it definitely was odd considering what we had gotten before it. Yeah, I guess certainly from like the higher, you know, critics mount uh, standpoint, this is, I, I'm inclined to agree with John. It's not really like like straight up innovation it's not something entirely fresh yes there are still reference points just as we had last week but there is a more well-rounded nature to this i think this is the first moment really on the album that i did kind of get a jarring effect between sections um but then we get a nice soothing effect later on as a real piano comes in and does a really unusual and interesting job comping the bass on top of everything else the foreplay between the two of them just comes off nice and smooth and Adds a lot of character I found lacking up until this point in the song. Yeah, and that, I think that would be the chorus. That that's just a little, tiny little like uh, piano hook. That frankly, I, I feel like I've heard somewhere. If if anyone knows where this track has been featured, be it in a commercial, uh, maybe even just in a mid commercial on Spotify. Who knows? Like this could be anything. Maybe I've heard it in the radio. I don't listen to the radio though, so I don't think that was it. But it really got a lot of popularity. It's it's just so catchy 
that, you know, I, I, I feel like I just replay it over and over and over in my head. The rest of the track I kind of take or leave. I don't really, I don't really recall it as easily as I do this single section, but this just comes back, and maybe that's because it was already implanted in me at a prior point, maybe, or just the power of it itself. Maybe, maybe I hadn't heard it, and I just feel like I have. Now that's power. Well, it's also a good showcase for what th- this band likes to do, which is contrast a lot of natural sounds with a lot of synth sounds and still retaining the pop framework. Having this combination of the bass, which is a borderline instrument in a lot of cases, to really bring it home with the piano and to have it showcased with that synth piano previously, it's a nice just back and forth between the two without really having to change that instrument in yeah. the long run. Uh, I almost wish I could like reverse soundhound this thing. Yeah. You know, like put it back to where I would otherwise like hear it and say, "Ooh, what is that band? I know the band. I want to know where I heard it." Yeah, <laughs> it's right. It's really annoying. Um, but this I, is, I don't know. I kind of enjoyed this track. Also, the lyrics here, I think, are, are are starting to really reach out. There's definitely a statement that is just it's on the fringe of something. There's here. a beautiful darkness to this track. I feel like it's definitely like the lighter side of losing someone. Talking about kind of making it very positive or very beautiful but you know an otherwise dark thing if your lips have lost their red you can always paint the rose instead you can make it easy you don't know what you want if you wanted even if your respirators leave i never stuck around to breathe that's just some unusual framework for some fairly dark ideas lips losing their red obvious uh, connotation of death right there sure or even if your respirators leave i mean right there i mean you're talking about someone losing the ability to breathe with a machine they're in a coma there's a lot of impact right there that's really interesting this is good dark poetry going on at the same time the vocals don't do the best job conveying it it seems still very light i mean we're working a lot with this falsetto, but the lightness of it keeps a lot of these words from having impact that I think it could have. But I think it's supposed to be light. I don't think that that impact is lost. I think it's supposed to kind of be this beautiful side of something tragic. And also, like, I was making a joke about death. Death is a girl talking about the death, the Grim Reaper. Yeah. But I think it's more about the idea of death is a girl. It's being personified in this girl that's possibly passing away, which I think is I think the idea, beautifully tragic. Maybe the idea that you just put your all your cards in it. You yeah. know, the idea that, like, well, you need to get everything done that you have to get done within your life before death finally arrives and it's like that if that's the if that's the emphasis that this girl has in his life i mean it he actually does the old trick where you actually like say the, the name of the movie in the movie or say the name of the song within the song which is yeah. a little bit more common you got to live in a world where there's only one day so maybe death is a girl and she's only one dance away which is a really sweet sweet sentiment so i yeah. see your point i think it is a lot more on the uh on the light-hearted side here despite the the illusion that it's going to be something a little bit more weighted. Right. I mean, also speaking to what John said, though, the track overall did feel a little bit repetitive with the beat machine kind of straight through it, but it had a charm to it that I kind of was still along for the ride, even though it did seem a little repetitive. And that's a big problem that I have in the next track, Creeps. Creeps. Okay, I right gotta away. Say, it laid on the creep. It's a lot slower. Really, really slow. And the heavy distortion in this synth intro really kind of drives that kind of emotional home, too. But, but now, this th- is where I recall a couple of influences, because mm-hmm. this is something that, to my ears, really sounded close to that, like, old, old school Elton John kind of pattern. The piano patterns in the background, it was really, really close to him, I felt. Maybe even a little bit Beatles when you consider the vocals together with it. It just, it felt like it was just. I don't know, living in the UK. <laughs> it's, it's, 
it's hard to like summarize that entire like you know British invasion and, and capture it just in like this song. But I feel that they did. They do it more later, but this was uh, an early hint of it. But this this basic beat work, and it really doesn't go much beyond just really basic stuff. It doesn't really benefit from the, the the high attacking synth guitar again. It doesn't really, in my opinion, gain anything from the piano flair that's thrown into it. All said and done, it is a slowdown, but it doesn't really come off as either s- sweet or creepy. It's kind of stuck in between. It seems very neutral to me. Um, I wouldn't confuse neutral with numb, though. I feel like I'm getting a little of both. It's just a little indecisive, maybe. Well, it, it's to me, it just felt like it didn't want to commit one way or the other. And that indecisive nature to it just kept it from really impacting me. I think the impacts, frankly, were the moments in which they sort of just, like, stopped playing. Well, not stopped playing, but pulled away some of the instruments. Mm-hmm. And then what you're left with is this these little reverberating pops, and then they go right back into it. So it's like this almost is a little bit of a static idea that then they they interrupt with, with breath marks, like you're holding your breath and then you have to release. I very strange. It also had this interesting structure of kind of like, not necessarily a crooner song, but it the vocally hinted at that a little bit. And I think that also has to do with the familiarity of it seeming like Elton John, who also was known to croon from time to time. Sure. And the voice actually did a good job when the instruments started pulling back. When there was pauses with one piece or another, that's when you actually started getting emphasis. But the falsetto is not changing throughout, so it's kind of an odd way to really showcase specific words or specific ideas. I found that to be a, a great little bit of texture for the vocals themselves that, so far in my eyes, my ears, hadn't really been doing anything special. I do think this was a standout moment for them. I, it's true that maybe they're they're sort of in the same range here, but there's so much going on. The back, the background vocalists especially are really phenomenal in this track. I mean, in the choruses, uh, the way they just sort of like like taper off and stutter the yes, you know, and taper the yeah yeah. <laughs> Absolutely love that. And then finally, uh, just another point about the whole construction of this track, the, the mixing quality is superb. Listen to this on headphones, you know, just the way the vocalists and, and the guitar solos specifically bounce back off the left ear and to the right ear. It's as if they're echoing to the right. They're playing the left, but they echo to the right. And it's a very cool effect that I, I don't think I've ever heard before. I mean, it sounds I, like something I, I probably have heard, but it's it's it, it was done fairly uniquely here. I feel like it's something that's been done before, but it's definitely not done frequently. So I would say that it's still probably fairly unique to this. Um, I, I found it a, a case of mixing art, you know, yeah. which I don't find myself uh, finding. <laughs> um, this song as a whole for me, though, I felt like it didn't leave as much of as an impact as, say, the next track. Like, it, this, I think, was alluding to the next track, but Fantasy, track four, is where we really get a sense of the dramatic from it this was, band. It was building up to it, for sure. I think it's putting you in the mindset that, that you're, he's really going to blow you away in the next track. Yeah, track four, Fantasy, for the first minute or so, it's almost hyperactive. Mm-hmm. It's, it's strange. It's really, like, like high-intensity... Uh, balls to the wall, almost ramping up what the previous track has, was bottling in, and then it's releasing that for just a minute or so, but then it releases in a much greater way at the one minute mark. Mm-hmm. This was absolutely beautiful. The vocalists here, they're actually quite muted, but they just, they own it. There's this mysticism to it. Everything is just up in the clouds. I know that's like the definition of ethereal here, but I I don't find myself like using the word in such an on-the-nose fashion. In the background, too, you have these slight little wails, like 
I couldn't describe it, whether it's a synth or whether it's a guitar. It's like this unsettling yet kind of peaceful howl in the background. I really, really love it. I'm not going that far on this track. This is still one of those pieces where I'm, I think I'm getting a lot of the same. And it's sectionally, there's major changes. And that's what I think is probably the jarring part for me, the where I'm actually starting to take notice. Because there's some breakdown that really feel like they, they've got a death that I just haven't heard on this album before. There's some rises that I just feel like hasn't been on this album before. But these ideas get repeated. There's really very little fluctuation in the parts themselves or in their reintroduction later on. Especially the breakdown where they get really deep, really emotional, and the vocals are actually starting to become um, a character for me. But when it gets done again, it's the same exact thing. This lack of like, like experimentation with the same ideas is, is hurting me. I feel what you're just describing is verses and choruses. <laughs> I mean, you hear it again for sure, but it's not really detrimental to me. For, I'll, I'll say this. In, the, in the, the verses leading into the choruses, you get this kind of 80s feel. It does bring that back. The hyperactivity uh, arises again. It's almost like someone's running, though, you know? And then all of a sudden, they just have to take that breath. So there's this back-and-forth nature here that I find sort of artful in its way, and I, I, I accept it completely, to be honest. I... But these changes don't really have a blend and don't have a, a, a solid connection for me outside really the rhythm itself. But I felt that even though it was a little scattered, I was entertained by it. I thought it was interesting. I mean, even in that breakdown that Steve was talking about, that kind of underlying groovy, almost hip-hop-ish kind of beat really added a layer to the song that gave it a unique perspective. It gave it character I we also, hadn't really seen before. I also see the tension and I see the release in the lyrics itself. This sort of, oh, my legs are tightening. Oh, your voice is, is lightning. And then contrasted with, oh, add it up. You're in all my fantasies. I can send it with my body after the end of the show. Oh, add it up. You're in all my fantasies. I can send it with my body. It's It's... It's very, I mean, it's again one of those like high pedestal kind of things where whoever the subject is is really up there and a lot yeah. of emphasis being thrown on them. But I think that's the nature of a lot of pop. So I don't know. I was, it was an interesting execution of that idea. I think that that kind of pedestal idea, even though there wasn't really anything in the arc of the album leading up to that, I just think as a song, as a contained narrative, I kind of just enjoyed the structure the song had. From here we go to track five. We have a featured performer on this track. It's Any Emotions, featuring the one and only Brian Wilson. Um, and the way this track started was one of my favorite intros on the whole album. One of my favorite intros, period. Agreed. It's just got this kind of crackling record player kind of effect with a little bit of instrumentation under it, but it sounds like an old, what were those crank record players called, uh, Ventrola? Victrola was Victrola. a brand, and they popularized them, sure. And so it had that kind of uh, uh, feel to it, which was really strong setting, and then jumps right into an almost islandy, chill-out groove track from there. And the transition was just really, really solid. And then the song starts to take on a cloud-like aspect, a real cottony aspect to it. The whole thing is almost like you're listening to it with wool in your ears. And this is a part where it actually is working extremely well because the bass groove is just great. And here, the my complaints of, quote, weakness in the vocals or the, the backstep of it is perfect for what they're doing here. This, I'm totally digging. 
I will say that that when you get a track like this, it puts some of your criticisms of the previous tracks in better light because it is such a major advance. I mean, I wasn't as critical of previous tracks, but it, this this is just on a whole new level. This to me is probably one of the heights of the album here. This whole islandy groove that they settle in is is not terribly unique of itself, but I kind of like how you get the tension in the bass just by despite it sort of relaxing the nature of the song it just like climbs up these half steps and then falls right back down climbs up these half steps falls right back down and then in the, in the verses you get this really really great solid melody i mean th it shows that this band is melody writers because i noted it earlier in, in in some of the early tracks but here it's just it seems so elongated it seems full it's it's memorable in its way plus combined with the backup singers syncing with the piano at the same time there's just this this full-bodied effect here I, I i i don't know it's a rounded rounded track well, you know, the full-bodied effect goes over to the vocals too i mean it's, it's almost as if the words have curly cues on them the way they just flow and sound so beautiful it's specifically evident in the chorus with the last words any emotions mm -hmm. the instruments actually cut off so it's even uh, almost a deader aspect of the track itself, a more just cotton-filled, but when the chorus really comes together and it's once again that kind of pleasant howl where everything just comes together, it is almost emotionless. And that's what I really, really enjoy about this track because it's those lines, but I don't understand any emotions, mm -hmm. that howling out lacking of understanding. And then it gets contrasted at the very end of the track with so happy, so happy in a sort of drumbeat-oriented section. Well, yeah, it takes on this kind of marching vibe towards the end. Yeah. And it's sort of a reinforcement of the idea, so happy, so happy. You sound, you, so happy, so happy, you. And that, that repetition, that reinforcement comes off as sort of a... a I don't know how else to put it, sort of like a one flew over the cuckoo's nest kind of an idea of searching for happiness. Well, maybe they're starting to cut into your brain or something like that. Like, it does not feel right. It does not feel pure. It It is a tinged kind of emotion, and it's really enjoyable just to have that that shadiness. And if, if this was cotton before, now it's really getting uh, a, a cloud on top of it. It's getting darker. It's getting foggy on it. Well, I could certainly see how that would how that would come through. Uh, we had kind of a split reaction on this track, frankly. I mean, I, I, I see how all this 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 negativity, this, perhaps this little twang of sadness just lurking in the background is probably there, but there's something about the overall effect of this track that is just so relaxing, and I find it mostly in those background vocalists, especially when they're harmonizing in full force, the times in which they, I think four of them together are all combining just to forge this major seventh on their own. Um, without need of any other instrument to help it out. It's just the, the I mean, I love that, that full, full bodied effect, as I said, just, just on the vocalists themselves. It's, it's something you, you really can't do with instruments, as, as, as silly as that is. Sure, you could play a major seventh chord in just one instrument, but when you have all the vocalists combined together, especially with their falsetto, it's just, it's, it's on another plane. All said and done, the, the track itself feels like a great loving song that, Big Brother might have written to do a, quote, re-education of the population. Yes, it's ideal for creating the emotion of happy, but it's almost a little bit too forceful for me, and 
I love that that duality that's going on it here. It has an almost so good it's fabricated feel. Exactly. Yeah. That's where I'm coming and, from. And I think that's what it is. It's it's so pure it can't be real. I think that's yeah, that's probably a good way to put it. There's a there's an idea here, I guess, that if you're accepting a blissful track that, well, it's got to be fake somehow. There's got to be a, a... There's a catch. There's a catch, of course. See, life can't be that perfect, naturally. And I, I guess that's the idea here. I I even find that in very relaxing music, I'm, there's often that little twang of sadness that's always there. It never quite goes away because you know the moment has to end. At the yeah. very least, even if there's nothing else to be sad about, there's at least that. The finite... Uh, mortality of life. Well, yeah, everybody has a little bit of sadness in their life, no matter how happy they are. Only children get to be blissfully ignorant. Yeah, it's true. I miss that ignorance sometimes. Yeah, everybody yeah. does in the long run. You almost see that here in a call and response tactic here, and this is a bit earlier in the track, this negative Nancy, high in demand, and they always repeat negative Nancy, negative Nancy, the, the background vocalist, right. high in demand, high in demand. The cards on the table, the cards on the table, I'll show you my hand, I'll show you my hand. As if there's like, well, there's his perception, and then there's the reality of yeah. it. I don't know, just kind of counteracting. It's, a, it's an interesting little tag. He does the same thing with the guitar as well. The guitar sometimes acts as the response. Lots of call and response nature, frankly, in the album as a whole, but I think it's uh, pretty well executed. From Let's try here, Vertigo. We go. Yep, track six, Vertigo, <laughs> features Alex Turner, as we had mentioned before, of uh, Arctic Monkeys fame. Um, and uh, the. I think it's interesting, and this is kind of a non-sequitur to a point, but I like when they kind of group together the featured tracks. There are a lot of hip-hop records I've listened to where they space them out. I kind of like getting the guest stuff right up in the middle, like just filling out that sandwich between the bread. Mm. Well, this sandwich has a lullaby intro. Yes. A lullaby intro into, like, real techno bass, which was a jump, but not enough of a jump for it to lose me. It's it, was, it was a... For all the scatterbrain transition this should have been, which I kind of saw in the previous parts of the album, this worked great, it which of, was weird. It kind of had a 70s feel-ish. Um, it sauntered almost. I, I wanted to say it was like a cruising track, like you would roll down the windows and drive. But uh, <laughs> but it, it definitely has a saunter to it. But there are those, like, we, and we've heard these earlier, but they really stand out here. And Steve pointed out, there are these eerie strings in the background that kind of just sound no, no, just no. a little off. It's I it's, pointed them out. Oh, okay. No, I pointed them out, too. You, well, you weren't listening. First. Well, now we're going to argue about off-air events. It was, we can't <laughs> do that on the podcast. <laughs> it was specifically in the second verse I noticed them. Oh, I, when they were rising and falling because the vocalist has a major change there. It was there in the first verse as well. It's something that, you know, if you're not listening... Listening, maybe it would it would kind of like overshoot, overshoot you. It didn't overshoot me though because it's it's something that was present and another thing I love to discuss, and that is funk. Funk <laughs> specifically from like the early '70s, the stuff that was just they had this tendency to invoke strings, and in such a grand way. I mean, probably uh, no better executed than by Gene Page, who was an excellent composer who wrote for a lot of uh, black exploitation films of the time. Nevertheless, great music, and the strings tended to have this very old record sound, or at least worn record sound, because of especially how they've been implemented lately. A lot of people reach back to the time and then use them as samples, and you can't get rid of that, that uh, worn nature. The, the, the grooves are just, you know, dug into the ground, and what it creates is this very muted but compressed old funk string effect. And it just comes across that if you're not listening closely, it, it could sound like a synth. It could sound like something that's been created to do that, and may very well may have, but that may may very well may have. But that's that's the effect. <laughs> um, it's it's 
a wonderful blend with, frankly, the chorus here, which I do get a very funk nature to it. I get this funk sway in the entire track here. The and vocals it's great. are the vocals are a lot higher. They're a lot brighter with this whole like, oh, you know, that's how it goes. Oh, you know that vertigo. Uh, that's in the chorus here specifically. And then at one point, there's this stall in the music where then it just hurdles right back. Uh, to the verse and then back to the chorus after that. Always these little breaks, these little these little commas. And the second verse has a different singer, and that was something that I saw right away. That, I think, allowed me to better hear those strings, hear that string line. And that was what was so curious to me because the string line would play along with the rest of the song and then just go off campus for a moment or two or three or four. Hearing that did a great job of imparting the idea of vertical, of being up in the air and being woozy. It, it, it really gave a lot of character and a lot of setting to just the title of the song. Yeah, it seems uh, ethereal is going to be a go-to word here. <laughs> but hell, at least this time it's, it's more for strings and not for, you know, and not with the, the synth. I mean, synths, of course, you can do anything with synth, and they're commonly used for this, like, ethereal layer for tracks. But if you have access to strings, gah, use them. Use them, always. And then we get a, device. <laughs> a subtle reindu- uh, reintroduction of the chorus as sort of a bridging piece. There was a slight changes to it. But this was just a preface for, well, just, just an incredible use of techno and pauses. Well, yeah, towards the end of the track, we get this instrumental that's mostly electronic and really sharply electronic. Like, this is... When we'd say it was Daft Punkian, but it's not really. It's just very electronic, definitely electronic influenced, and it drives through to the outro, which I really liked, and it was a dynamic shift from what the rest of the track was. Yeah, using a lot of those commas I talked about, which uh, sometimes I think later it was used with that drum transition. That was absolutely spectacular. That that serves as the comma and the biggest comma of them all. Um, yeah, and then from that to the end, it it really it. It feels like the outro to some of those more outlandish Beatles tracks. The ones that would just go off and you realize that at this point it's probably more George Martin than them. It's just like, it, at some point it clenches up and you hear this like tinny little clavichord sound. Or clavichord, harpsichord, they, they made appearances in Beatles albums for sure. And it's, it's, it turns this, this funk track into something that's almost theatrical by the very end. Like, it would, again, recede, it would have the big uh, jam, and then all of a sudden there's just this little ditty, and then it goes back to the jam, and it feels like something that there should be a narrative to. And of course we have a narrative in, in the lyrics here, and it's, it's, it's pretty substantial. I mean, it's a lot of words they just cram in here. I'll just read one, one um, verse to give you an idea. Strictly stick shift witchcraft. Great writing. She's Miss Been There, done that. Bought the cat suit. I'm not used to raising the roof, then telling the truth. I thought I wasn't, but I was losing my mind. When she showed me how the night was supposed to sound, I realized that then, whenever I shut my eyes, well, there she offered, looking like a million dollars, in a briefcase or a duffel bag by high noon tomorrow. Just make sure you're not followed. And since you're such a stunner, send her something sunset-colored. Let's make love to one another. Run for cover. Oh, that is such such great great writing. writing. What's amazing about that is the blending of line to line. Nothing really ends right there. It comes off incredibly strong because there's just no interruption. And instead of using repetition, which was a big issue I was having previously, it's, it's just pure wordsmithing now. 
Well, what I like about the wordsmithing is you typically get that kind of run together and flow in a hip hop track. And here it's not. It's clearly an indie rock track, but it's still got that wordplay that you would expect from that kind of a thing. And so I, well, I like that kind of that's play rock, on it. That's rock rap. That's rock rap. That well, is rock rap. I'll tell you, these are readers' lyrics. I mean, just, I, I need to do this. I'm continuing. Oh, you know that's how it goes. Oh, you know that's vertigo. Oh, you know, honey, get your loving on the low. Don't you know you give me that vertigo? Oh, you need me a cancer from the sky, burning up life too cool to die. Oh, you move me, crescendos cuff the link. She's on the verge, I'm on the brink. This was some of my favorite lyrics, frankly, in weeks. Weeks, just in terms of of writing. Command of the English language, knowing how to work it. I know there's more emotional lyrics out there. I'm aware of that. But sometimes you just have to give it up to wordsmithing. No, yeah, and it's definitely strong in that track for sure, hands down. From here we go to track seven, Honey, I'm Home. And from here I'm just going to take over with the lyrics themselves. Life no more fits me, death a fashion crime. Life is but one space in time, honey come home. Control your mind, it knows not right from wrong. I've been here for way too long, honey come home. And this the theme put in here is striking when you actually get the falsetto singing this. And what I love about this track with those lyrics is that the drum intro has such attitude, such pure attitude that it really, really rings in the, the passion to these lyrics. And it's a great background to these lyrics. It's still, uh, the, dr- the drums themselves are still, they're kind of, they're kind of static to me. I, right. They didn't really leap out. They're... It's more of this um, heartbeat emphasis, kind yeah. of. This uh, heavy drum and, and bass combined on the one, and the piano answers it on the two. So always with that sort of beat-downbeat thing. Uh, almost like a reverberating machine. It's kind of like a march, but there's definitely a little bit of a hypnotizing effect going on. Now, I did notice in the hook, the bass work is followed by a very, very spastic guitar. I mean, this was something that I, I haven't heard, like, a little bit, uh, maybe like in Marnie Stern, Going sure. back to like math rock, it's 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 got that kind of attitude to it, and believe me, that's episode sixty-two, the Chronicles of Marnia. That album is full of attitude. Um, that's kind of when I think I want to hear more out of this band, yeah. and what I perhaps am not getting as much because if you're going to go rock, then come on, go rock. Well, also the distortion in the chorus as well kind of adds to that attitude as well. It gives it like this thick layer that really kind of fills it out. When you take all this and then you have probably the most cohesive transitions and builds, this became one of my favorite songs. Here, the connection from section with the hooks, with the verses, and the not really chorusy parts. I mean, it was sort of representative in the music as opposed to the, the vocals themselves when choruses were coming in and out. You're taking all these parts, they're flowing together very well, and when they're getting reintroduced, they're being remixed at the same time. Having these additional elements is the main thing I was missing from the early part of the album. I will say, for that reason, it it, it really is what makes this such a fun track to listen to. I, I do think that there was some spasticity going on in, in, in earlier tracks. They would throw out an idea and follow it up with a different idea, and you're not quite exactly sure where to sit and what the sound is. Here, it's blending a lot more. I, I, I understand what Mini Mansion is all about despite occasionally referencing material here everything is just is just jibing together um even at the end here uh, there was like this strange almost industrial outro where everything is again a little bit more a lot more metallic 
And it was something I, ha frankly, haven't heard since, like, 2004. TV on the radio's Desperate Youth Bloodthirsty Babes, which I referenced a few times in this podcast, but haven't often found anything to compare it to. It's the first thing I've ever heard to compare directly to that album, which is a very industrial, uh, yet wholly unique project. I hear it in this outro. Well, the, the song does culminate with Life no more miss me, death the final high. Life is just one way to die. Honey, come home. I never got to know all the phantoms on my way home. And that final line is final. It really is just a finality to it. It's a period. Yeah. But what I like about that outro also is even we get these beautiful synth instrumentals, as Steve likes to call them. That's what they are. It's not a calling thing. That's yeah. true. Um, we, it also has this character of long and windiness, and that's what I like about these last handful of tracks. Pretty much some fantasy on is each song has a distinct character, and for sure this one does. And that long, windy nature of the outro really makes it engaging mm -hmm. without feeling long. Well, it was one of my favorite things, frankly, on that TV and the radio album, uh, Desperate Youth. It was just... It, their outros were some of the strongest parts. You feel that the track was actually really starting to end around the halfway mark. And this is for, like, the last four tracks on that album, where, like, halfway mark, oh, the track's got to end in, like, what, like, 15 seconds, 30 seconds? Nope, it goes on for, like, another three minutes. You'd think that would be annoying, but instead that's where the art steps through. I had the same experience on this track. Uh, something to be said for a really, really well-done outro. And it, it made me feel as if this track is almost a part of something larger. Yeah. Something, well, it is, of course, that's the album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> But it made me feel as if it's something even bigger, like a saga, a play. And, what I, and don't get me wrong, when I say long and winding, I don't mean that it feels long. I just mean it... it I like the way it meanders. Right. That's the key. It I like where it meanders and, and envelops you in the process. It's a stroll. That's the analogy I'm it's making. It's a stroll. It's the way home. I'm enjoying, even though it's getting ominous, even though it's getting dark, I'm enjoying the, the actual journey of this one. Yeah. The problem is the next track. Well, so the next track... Also has length issues, but they're actual issues. So Mirror Mountain. Oh, this is just high, heavy, attacking guitar, which does have a nice organ-ish kind of piece as a counterpoint. But after a while, that seems like that's the only thing here. Interestingly enough, this was another one that kind of reminded me of Marnie Stern a little bit in terms of the spastic nature of it, but this time more to its detriment. Well, yeah. Uh, there's a lot of, like, honking and electronic buzzing inserts, and it just, it's another one of those high-intensity tracks that doesn't really make any pretense at pleasing you along the way. It's a little, it's a little grating on the ears after a while. Well, and also, after the first, like, handful of notes the the pretty much the first 30 seconds it goes into this guitar synth rise and the rising notes are almost identical to zombie nation like the the, the rising Kencraft, the kencraft uh, zombie nation i guess it's almost a a, a remix or I don't. I, I don't want to say I, it's sampling, but it's close to it. I don't it. think it's sampling. I think that no, 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 no. If, if you use the term music borrowing, then it's far more academic, and you can get away with it. Okay, oh, it's borrowing. borrowing. It's absolutely borrowing. But I think it's just that the notes happen to be similar. I mean, we've seen this. I mentioned the this. You know what? It's it, taking that aside, and the chord progression is pretty much spot on to my ears, though I'm obviously not perfectly in pitch. The issue is not that. The issue is that. That rise is just repeated yeah. four, five, six, seven times, and it just gets annoying. The outro is really just the same riff over and over again. I mean, that's, that's something that was a common problem for us whenever there's a repeated riff that doesn't really seem to serve any purpose, and I didn't really see the purpose in this track. Lyrically, we're not talking about 
much here. It's very the vocals, straightforward. The vocals were almost unnecessary. This town, this is a side of me. Only one down. I can't find my way back to Mirror Mountain. This town, this is the sound of me. All the young crowned king for a day. Looks like we made it to Mirror Mountain. Well, there was, definitely, there the was definitely an arc there. It was a very quick arc. But I mean, there like, was a beginning and an end. Yeah. And then you where, get the where, where is it? Where is it? Oh, there it is. Yeah, yeah, I found no, it. But there's the problem. You get the second half of the song, which is just repetition. Well, because the whole second half of the song is the, that instrumental. And this time, this this outro is long and tedious. It's not like previously. And when it, it just reminded me, was that and outro and following the... Uh, the, the lyrics completely yes, when yeah. the lyrics were done. I'm, by the almost, time we did the I'm almost certain, positive. mostly because the mixing on the vocals drowned them out, yeah. and the wall of sound that the outro becomes uh, becomes n- just static. You're on the wrong television channel trying to switch over to your VCR back in circa 1990. It's just <laughs> after a while. It's it's. I used it's to call it, when I was little. I called it the snow. We all did. It was oh, called cool. snow. Yeah, okay, awesome. snow was yay common. validation. Yeah, you're not super young and naive. What? I don't know. <laughs> I was going to make a reference to the age difference, and I just... I thought I'm old. You're not on track. Yeah. <laughs> Let's go to track nine, Heart of Stone. So, right away, we're getting acoustic. So, it's it's definitely more... Not necessarily acoustic, but it definitely feels like actual instruments versus electronic like we've been getting before. And it's... I couldn't put my finger on what was different. It took me half the song to figure it out. The drums... And this is the drum They were actual drums, not electronic drums, it felt like. And that hurt a lot of the continuity of what was going on here for me. Because the drums had been the most present aspect of this album. Whether or not there's playing a beat that's in the same tempo, same rhythm, or what have you, the sound was very identifiable and created a bridge from song to song. The sort of pop tone of it, the the electrified acoustic sound did a lot to hurt it as keeping it in line with the rest of the album for me. That aside, though, I don't feel like that was my biggest problem with the track. I mean, it had a Beatles-esque kind of sound, you know, old-school rock. It had a couple of Beatles-esque kind of lines Lines. in it, too, and we'll get to that in a little bit. Beatles-esque, but not quite. But my problem with this track mostly is that we'd gotten such distinct character in, like, the last four tracks or so and here i feel like we have the benjamin booker problem like we alluded to earlier in the the album i don't want to harp on it too much but this is sounds like something we've heard before there's no original character to mini mansions that i've been hearing before in this track it just feels like another late 60s early 70s rock track it's the idea that in the benjamin booker album he would pick tracks and just decide to sit in a certain environment and that's what he chose and you you knew it from the get-go and it's exactly where it ended and it didn't provide any twists along the way it was just well he's he's reaching back for a little while I, i don't know why and that's kind of what's going on here at least it was maybe a little more consistent in that album because it was a lot of reference material, a lot of throwbacks. But this album, I think to me, has mostly been full of fairly fresh things. This is just such a blatant homage, I really don't know how to how to put it. In terms of these lyrics, I think you'll quickly see the Beatles' influence. Cold-hearted from the western meds, going coast to coast, deep-rooted into madness. Funny, because she likes to boast. No curing Colonel Mustard. Honey, he's beyond pretend. Get chummy with the don't-know bodies. I mean, then you get later on a reference to the Wooly Bully. <laughs> it's, it's all these Mr. Madness money, uh, Bed Buggy and Galactic Druggy. This is all just like, we're going Japan? down the rabbit hole of the White Album here. It's, it's headed to Japan, back to the USSR. Colonel Mustard mean Mr. Mustard. Wooly Bully, Hurly Burly, which 
it's a little bit different. Yeah. But there's a lot of it, it. It it sounds very referential, and I don't like that because it doesn't sound original because of that. It it's oh think of this, think of that, think of this, and the music is paralleling the and, same idea. And just to show you the fine lines on these things, this is an instance where I can flat out observe the 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 clever wordplay here, but it's just not hitting me as hard. I can say that this is a great line. Uh, no woolly bully, blunder covers. He's beyond pretend. Dry heaven, and we all get even. It's the master plan. Okay, great writing. I, I don't know what to take from that. I really don't. I don't have context. Um, and then there's just the idea that I can't shake, uh, the, the environment. I can't shake the reference point. And I, you know, where does it fit? It just feels like I've heard it before. I mean, there was this cool kind of wailing effect in the background, yeah, and and it 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 gave the track a little bit of character, but overall, it just it was pretty even mellow through the whole track. And while I liked it, I just I loved the character we've been getting up to this point, and I felt this. I don't want to say so much that it was soulless because I don't feel like it was. I just felt like it lacked the distinct character we'd been getting. If you were trying to extrapolate a a. Uh a goal here, a message, you probably would get it from the final lines, which are repeated ad nauseum. And I need you to know, my heart ain't made of stone. My heart ain't made for rehashing the past till I explode. And that over and over. Yeah, it's... I, I get it. I really do. And, and it does seem, especially when you take that line, you know, you can mix it up with the previous uh, the theme that's been building, and you see, all right, this is kind of his breaking point. I take this track as kind of a, a drug-addled haze, sort of. I, I could see that. I mean, uh, That's I his breaking point. I, I will say that it does pair pretty well with the next track also. I mean, the fact that this one is pretty even and mellow, and then we go to Double Visions track 10, which is very subdued in the intro as well before it moves on to a more dancier verse. And I think that's a good connecting point for the two tracks. But that being said, I don't really want the Double Visions to connect to this previous yeah. track because of the identity crisis I feel like that's going on. Double Visions has a nice steady beat that does a great job of, of really invigorating a sway in you right away. But it doesn't change much from there. It, 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 it remains a little bit too steady. It, it seems like we're... Well, in my opinion, we're rehashing a lot of the previous problems from very early in the album for me. It, it, because it begins with that eerie intro, and then it dives into something very childlike. At least, it, it's digestible. It's fanciful. I, yeah, it's maybe it's unfair for me to go straight childlike, but I don't know, this is pretty... It really is pretty... pretty. Yeah, fanciful to me, I guess I, I get childlike from that. It's so happy-go-lucky, I don't know how to take it as anything other than immature, considering the stuff that we just had. So... I don't know. This is this is another peculiar track. Um, a little bit of Blur influence. Yeah, it does definitely sounds like something that would come out of early Blur's work. Um, the dancey nature, the the kind of fun, happy-go-lucky, as Steve said. You know, it's. I I liked the song. I don't know that I liked it as much as I liked the character in previous tracks. Like the previous track, Nine, as I'm comparing it to, this one also felt kind of soulless. It didn't feel to have that specific, unique, this is Minnie Mansion's character in this track. And I find, like, when we are comparing a song to another band, you, you lose some of the character there because you're looking, it has a direct correlation to something else. The lyrics themselves are a little bit on the weak side as well. Making babies in a parody of Adam's family. Well, I've been down. Double visions that I can't recall. Let's kick it down the hall while well, I've been down. Lovey-dovey, give me fantasies. Have I been on my knees? Well, I've been down. Hire natives we can entertain. We're necking on the plane because I've been down. Mm. 
It I just mean, it just doesn't seem very uh, mature it, for what the, the other aspects of this album has presented. It seems like an, a let's go have sex song, essentially. is It's kind of the whole kind of feel it's giving. And that does feel a little immature. You know, you you've, with a lot of records, maturity leans more towards love and lasting love and relationships. Whereas just uh, promiscuity is sometimes... Uh, compared to adolescence and, you know, a lack of knowing or, you know, not to saying that promiscuity doesn't happen in adults. It's just, it's often compared to a younger generation. Sure. And maybe that's the the double vision he's having. The idea that he's really both at once. He's been in this very, like, lovelorn state and then sometimes just, you know, going off. Which is a possibility. I mean, thematically, it's not super out of place for the record. Um... I think that the way it ends with the single piano note is very cliche. It's just you know, I'll break. It's and not then just it's cliche. Over. It had no, it, it. It was not represented throughout the entirety of the song itself. It was just a random noise. Yeah, it just it seemed because piano wasn't very prevalent in this track anyway. It was mostly bass and guitar buried within the. A lot of the instrumentation kind of blurred in the background too. It was just kind of jaunty and dancey, but beyond that, it was kind of hard to pick apart. Kind of blurred, right? Because blur influence and... No takers? Okay. Track 11, (laughs) the end again. So this is the final track, and from the moment it starts, it's got this kind of soundscape, pretty intro, and I already am groaning. And not because it's bad, but just because it sounds like an end track. And I, I... That said, I mean, of course, we like when an album wraps up, and it's nice when it comes together, but... Of all the things I expected them to close with, I didn't expect them to close with a very predictable-sounding, mellow wrap-up track. I rather liked the uh, the last track initially, but I appreciate you taking the higher ground on the critics' corner. Because, yes, it's very predictable, and we all know it uh, that this is like the way in which you end albums if you want to create a nice, cohesive product and you give people that nice release at the end. Very... Uh, very smooth, very dynamic in the drums. I gotta say, this was a nice sine wave effect that they employed uh, for the drums sort of growing in crescendo, getting louder, then getting softer, then getting louder, then getting softer. Really, really like that. It's uh, it's like waves almost, purely within the drums. And then I also really like the guitar later. There's again, more of that wailing guitar sound. So it's putting you back in all the, the high points that we had been in early on when we'd be referencing, oh, that sounded ethereal. Ooh, that sounds really, really relaxing. Um, all those high points... But we know that this is the end. The, the track tells us, in fact. So, uh, I just... We don't... Because that's just existing here as the last track, I feel like context is the thing that's killing me. Just as context killed me on the previous track. I mean, I accept fully that Double Visions really was no of more lighthearted or vapid than we got maybe even the opening progressions of the very first track, that whole one one two four progression. Sure. Right? But context because it's at the tail end and we're just we're not being introduced to something then it's harder to just accept that you know also, at the ends of albums i'm always more critical well also with that drum sine wave you're talking about sure to start out it had a nice ebb and flow by the time we get to the end of the track and i don't want to skip over anything but just for the drum specifically by the end of five minutes that pretty sine wave starts to feel kind of repetitive mm-hmm. and i mean there's stuff in the middle i mean it is a, a, a quite a pretty track i just feel like as far as stuff we've heard this is another one that's not too far off from something we've heard before and it is kind of 
predictable. I, I agree with that point, too, that the, the drums, though I liked in the beginning, kind of got repetitive. Well, the dampness of the groove, the, the kind of fade off into the sunset, into the abyss, all these tropes are just really putting a period on an album that I don't really think summated with this song as well. That was my biggest issue. This this felt like a closing, but I don't feel like it was connected to much else of the album itself. That's where I'm really having a big issue. To, to be fair, I think there are some some thematic elements that we're definitely missing because uh, he's a good writer and he did make, I don't know if it's the mistake or maybe it's just a little below our heads, at least on this particular listen. Maybe we should have you know been a little bit more uh, dutiful with it, but He's making some allusions, he's making some metaphors, and when you combine all of these lyrics together, it's not its not completely painting a picture for me. I, I get snippets of it in little portions of the lyrics, but for the whole, uh, some, something I'm missing. I think we all are. Yeah, I mean, also, the album didn't seem to have a very strong and cohesive arc at at a front front facing face value it's not like other emotional albums where we've gone well this is the story here's the breakup here's the down here's the up like it, there there were hints of it in the tracks but i feel like even with this final track we're still kind of asking well what really is the message here and truthfully i don't really know i mean like i know i i talk a lot about emotionally connecting to a record and i did at moments here but i think that while John's points about it not being, you know, being cluttered or being distracting, I don't always agree with. I do agree that there's not a clear emotional feel from track to track. But then again, I had the same problem with Arctic Monkeys. And since we brought them up and it's it related to Jose and, and today's album a bit, I, I feel like... I have a point on that, but I'll save it. <laughs> save it. I feel like, um, I don't know, I feel like... I appreciated, and I openly admit, I appreciated Arctic Monkeys a lot more after we reviewed it. I listened to it a lot more. It's actually one of my favorites. It makes me want to go back and hear their older stuff. In fact, I should check out that album, that um, Suck, Suck It and See, that Jose suggested, which mm-hmm. I probably will. But for this, I feel like it's a little disjointed, and I like that. Um, there's a lot of heart and character in this record, and I agree with Steve. It definitely feels more modern than a lot of the other indie or indie rock we've taken on lately. And, and I get a sense of that. I just don't know that I feel, I don't know. I feel like there's definitely talent here that's undeniable. I just, I don't know if there's that something else that I'm looking Satisfaction? for. Satisfaction? Maybe. I, but I feel like I might get that listening to it more. Because again, as I said earlier, I, with albums, sometimes it takes time. I feel like this album is a grower. It, you really have to listen to it a lot more because even on today's listen I felt I liked it more than the last listen I did the last couple of listens I did on my own I, I appreciated more of it and so I don't want to shortchange it for that between that and the talent of the artist I really think that there's something to it I just think for me personally it was missing that extra little something that I was looking for so it's going to keep it from being upper upper echelon easily over a four because I feel like that there there's there's something here that I want more of and that there's a clear skill and talent that can grow even bigger so for me this is right right around the same place that Arctic Monkeys was for me uh, a little higher I think just because I'm getting a sense of something more talent wise even though thematically I'm losing it so for me it's a 4.3 all right uh, I think I 100% agree with your take on this, at least with respect to Arctic Monkeys, just because, well, at least not not that I enjoyed it more. I think actually I may have enjoyed this just a slight bit less, 
But I think the analogy is appropriate because of the idea that what they seem to be doing versus what this seem to be doing, similar concept, similar idea that I think they're working on another plane and that the albums both are growers. I think I will probably grow to like this more as time goes on. I, I had uh, some initial critiques of Arctic Monkeys AM, but frankly, uh, it really, really grew on me over the course of two years now since we did that episode. Um, that had something going for it, which just does not leap out, and I think that's something to respect. I'm inclined to give this more the benefit of the doubt, but let's face it, we do have a few holes here. There are definitely moments in which it's it's dragging a little bit and in which the reference seems to be a little bit too heavy, but that's okay. That is an okay thing just to do occasional references. I probably have a much more lenient take on this than I did perhaps last week because of the idea that that was just exclusively, you know, sitting in a realm. I think that the vast majority of this, like 75%, is a new, fresh work with a little bit of stuff that leans to the past. But then again, there is that little point about the track titles. Of course, the idea even of The Great Pretenders, you'd think that they chose that title because there's a little bit of pretending here going on. Well. That's ironic, considering that actually for most of this album, they really were pretty fresh. Um, despite all those titles, it's just, they, they broke out with something. Not in every track, but they broke out with something. I agree this is uh, over the four. Um, there's a, it's a it's a tight group. They can definitely uh, pull it in those few moments and, and bring it together for that emotional uh, impact in, in key moments of songs. But I did feel like there was a little bit lacking in arc, and maybe also a little bit of blue balls. Like, sometimes we got foreshadowing that didn't quite give us the, the reveal that maybe we were hinted at that, that the album would be building to. Instead, there's still some spastic choices. So I, I'm just going to give this a benefit of the doubt over the four, a 4.1 for, uh, for just, I don't know, give me a great listen. I want to listen to this in the car. This is a, an album I'll definitely be going back to. That's worth a four on its own. Within the purely pop structure, it's definitely leaps and bounds what we would consider the quote mainstream. But for that, it doesn't break away technically too often. The progressions, the build, they seem very safe and a little stagnant. The texture is where this album really shines. It's, it's doing interesting things with interesting noises, interesting synths, unusual changes. That's where it really does catch my attention. It's challenging me with these textures. But it's not challenging me any other way. I'm not getting aha moments. I'm not getting deep emotional connection. I'm not getting a, a sense of story or a, a unifying arc or a unifying theme. Aside from the most basic, yeah, there's a lot of similar sounds throughout the album. These lacks are really just holding it back for me. There are three really good, really uh, great almost songs with five, six, seven, but it's it's got in front of it four tracks that really just sound way too similar to what's already on the radio for me. It's got four tracks afterwards that sound way too similar to stuff that's been produced quite often in, in annals of history. It doesn't feel like they've they got a, a true soul here. Oh, There's that a heartbeat. Is what, that is what I said about last week, though. Yeah, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of flipped here. There's a heartbeat through it, but the, the true soul, the true character, a true theme or, or identity for the band just seems to be just banking on that texture, on that use of unusual noises. I mean, they're not going off the wall and being, 
you know, sideshow level honks and horns and things like that, but the integration just isn't there. So <laughs> I'm 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 quite a bit off from you guys. Three five. It's it's too beholden to just being technically right that I, I can't go past the three five. It's it's just not there for me. It's a little rough, but uh, it's your rating as long as I also had issues on almost every track that you just didn't have on most of those tracks. Okay. Alright. Alright, well we haven't been uh been far apart in a while. That's that's good. It's yeah. good exercise. It's good um So as that we're all human and not robots. Exactly. We're beep, not beep. robots. Beep boop beep boop. <laughs> um but going back to my wrap up, challenging. I said this this album was tech uh, was uh, texturally challenging. And music should do that, should challenge you in some way, should, in, in all of its myriad of aspects, have something to make you dive into it. And it's something that we talk about quite often when we're dissecting music, but we never really did a topic on it. Well, uh, one thing that I've said many times when we've reviewed records is the ones that, there are albums that John or Steve will pick, or even once in a while I pick, where I come in to talk about it and go, I'm really mad at you. This was really hard, but it was a really good album. Th that may have happened a few weeks ago. <laughs> yes. I mean, <laughs> it, it, like, one of my my favorites to reference is Boards of Canada. Because even though I didn't love that album, it was a tough record to dissect, and I enjoyed the challenge of listening to it and trying to figure out where the hell it stood. That would be Boards of Canada's Tomorrow's Harvest, episode 154. Uh, excuse me, 54. I'm thinking of the hundreds now because we're just so steeped in the hundreds. But yeah, that's, that's true. A, that's a ways ago, 54. We're, we're well on our way to the 200s. Oh, boy. Um, but yeah, I, I think that, especially as a music re reviewer, I guess we can claim to be at this point after 150-something episodes. And three years. And <laughs> three years. I do like being challenged. I think one of the most disappointing things about Walk Off the Earth, even though I still like that record that we reviewed, is that it doesn't challenge me. Like, I listen to it, it's bubblegum pop, I, I get sucked into it, but it doesn't challenge me in the same way some of the other artists I listen to do, and that's more disappointing than anything else. I think there's a couple things to consider. Uh, one from a critic standpoint, and another just from a fan standpoint, and that's to beware of, of, of snobbery, certainly within the industry. Um, challenging, uh, just as John, as John said, challenging work comes in a variety of fashions, and it's not always just in terms of breaking down individual elements. In terms of, oh, that's just challenging texturally, or, or challenging solos, it's virtuosic, or it's a challenging theme that really makes you think about culture and what society's going through. That stuff exists, but I think there's also that extra level that music can sometimes make you think about something and just sink itself into you slowly, like like a some kind of some kind of bath where like you have Quick to sand. pour in that stuff. Well, not quite like that because <laughs> that has very uh, very poor uh, conclusion. But if you like pour in, you know that Avino bath that occasionally you'd, you'd have to do like if you had like a rash or something and you chicken needed pox. It to go down. Yeah, it, chicken pox is the prime example, right? And then you needed to sit with it for a certain amount of time for it to actually have its effect. Creams are like that. All these things are like that. I think music is also like that, and that's the one area in which you know we we are just on the brink of not quite giving albums its due. We give ourselves a week, and we didn't. It's more than we used to do. In the very early days, we would just like soak up an album immediately and give our first impressions, and we thought that was a a proper review. Later on, we at least started announcing a week in advance. But sometimes it takes longer. And judging from what I experienced with that. Uh, 
Arctic Monkeys album, AM, the fact that it took months for me to really like grow onto it was something I hadn't really experienced before. We always expect as fans and as critics for, for works to just sort of leap out immediately and sometimes challenging is the nature of absorbing something and not making knee-jerk reactions. I think that's a, a whole nother type of challenging. And there's also the, the fact that we have to challenge the records themselves, the music itself, to, to do better, to actually try to wow us in some way, or to make us think in some way, or to at least make us think, period. For all of my dislike for Flying Lotus, especially that first album, I uh, find... Well, that was a knee-jerk reaction, which, as I recall, you weren't here for. I yeah, but think. I did yeah. make myself listen to it. you got to remember that yeah, part. That's episode 19. Really listen to episode 131, though. They, they blew, my, blew us out of the water with that one, I think. But going back to that first album that we reviewed, it's not as bad as I thought it was. I mm-hmm. guess is the best way to, to phrase it. Because in, instead of going, well... Okay, is this making music? I'm going, well, what is this actually doing? What is it trying to do to me? I'm setting the gauntlet down and seeing what it actually picks up here. I'm going in the frame of mind that I want to have something pushed back against me as I'm listening. Well, it's a perfect comparison, especially in terms of uh, comparing, you know, that Flying Lotus album, perhaps even to today. Uh, Not that you necessarily made that comparison, but I I see it in a sense, the idea if you're going to, talk about the spasticity. I mean, people are so, uh, if you get a change, people are either for it or against it, and there's not too much in the middle. You know, a a, a shift between a certain section in a song, from a verse to a chorus or to a transition or to a solo, it's either really jarring because the band is trying to do something new, or it's, it's, everyone accepts it because it was awesome and they did something cool and people get the fact that they were trying to do something new. And artists walk this line all the time as to whether they're going to go off the rails and they think that maybe they'd challenge you in that way, or whether they're just throwing stuff out there. And then it wasn't challenging because they just pulled a various idea, a different idea, and stitched it together, not in any particularly creative way. Amazing how fine that line is, and how we perceive it as to whether that was a challenging project or not. Well, also, it's the artist challenging you and challenging human nature as a whole. I mean, humans by nature fear change because we fear the unknown mm-hmm. and a harsh change is unknown and so not only are these musicians challenging the reviewer or or themselves or the fans but human nature as a whole and going you want a but i'm going to throw you b and let's see what happens and it it really kind of adds a uh, dynamic to a lot of that kind of music that can go either way can be very polarizing and they put their work on the line their their career on the line sometimes to do that and, and some of the bands we reviewed, like Modest Mouse or They Might Be Giants, has a perceived spasticity to it, uh, where they just go from point to point to point to point with their music. This is time for a quick disclaimer. Spasticity is not a word, but it is today. <laughs> it is today. It, they, you don't see the overall flow from song to song on a first listen through with a lot of their music. It just doesn't seem to fit because their theme works and tends to be all over the place. But when you really hear it as a whole, when you start actually going bit by bit, especially when you get, you know, five or six 15-second songs, quote-unquote, in a row, and I'm first time I hear something like that, I'm like, what, what are they doing? I, I don't get it. And then when I get it in a different framework with, these are just ideas. This is, this is something we came up with. 
And we could have done the song. We could have. But instead, we try to keep it a child. We try to, to, to let you nurture it. That's how I viewed it afterwards. After Steve actually talked to me about it and explained his view, it, it completely changed how I was listening to specifically that band. But in a way, it did shift the way I listened to music as a whole. But I also like that, and I'll use the same artist as an example, I like how bands also challenge you to change your own perspective and tastes. And my favorite song to always bring up all the time will be Darlings of Lumberland. I will bring that song up till the end of time. You okay. should. It's pretty damn good. And They Might Be Giants, uh, Nanobots, episode 38. And that song challenged me to redefine what I was looking for in music. I didn't know I wanted that song in my life. I could have never imagined wanting a song like that. But when I got it, now all I can talk about is how much I love that song, and it's one of my favorite songs of all time. And I could have never pictured it. So it challenged my entire perspective of music as a whole and what I look for in music. It depends how you like to treat art, I think, fundamentally. A lot of people, especially modernists uh, or postmodernists, like to treat art as the kind of thing that has these like multiple implications. They give you what, they, what you expect, but then they twist it and they warp it. And that's the idea of, of uh, something that would challenge the next generation of music lovers. Um, but then sometimes, at least traditionally, it used to just be, well, create a really really beautiful melody something that everyone will will uh adhere to and 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 replay in their heads like they like it's it's a part of them and if you can do that to uh to the world essentially you know for a pop track that's a pretty powerful thing which it's very easy to be snooty at but if you can do that that i don't know that's that doesn't always equate to what we like to the word we like to throw around and that's manufactured that oh well you can guess what people are going to like around the world. Sometimes you can't. Sometimes the fans will be fickle and they will reject things that they they suspect are being simply fed to them. In those cases, you'd be better to stick to your instincts and just write that great melody. And as simple as it may be, as slow as it may be, as uh, tonally unchallenging as it may be, that may very well be the more challenging work. And then every once in a while we come across truly pivotal songs or moments in time with Bohemian Rhapsody or with Sgt. Peppers, where we just get something that truly becomes uh, almost a statement standing up to what music had been propagating beforehand. Truly a change in a way of thinking, a challenge to music as as a whole, not just the listener, but what everybody's making. Because you got to think, the guys that were around when Queen released Bohemian Rhapsody were going... Why? How did he do something? How did they do that? Nobody could do something like that. Nobody's done anything like that. How? So it's it's more the band at that point is just throwing the gauntlet down for the world to just go, all right, I did this. Your turn. I also feel like it's been important for us to challenge ourselves as critics. We like to pick on bands that we feel have done us wrong or have not produced quality content. But the reality is, if Green Day were to make another record and we took it on, I mean, we're challenging ourselves to see past a stagnation that we saw in a trilogy of records or Maroon 5 or any of those bands that have let us down, Linkin Park. The idea of going back to those, which we may or may not do in future reviews, is the idea of even challenging ourselves as reviewers. We listen to music differently. I've talked about that tons of times. And it's the idea that, yeah, sure, everyone, Nickelback is the butt of every joke. And they know it and they don't like it because they're musicians and they work really hard, I'm sure, on what they're trying to do in their own realm. But they're the butt of every joke. But I defy you. 
listen to that new Nickelback record. I mean, if it's if it's not good or you don't like it, fine. Then don't like it. You're allowed to not like stuff. What, but challenge your perspectives. Even going back to what you said about just what we do here and, and on the podcast, I mean, it's important to us also because we like to have a fun Monday. <laughs> yeah. We record on Monday. It releases on Friday. But on Monday, it's it's... It can either be a slow day or it can be a, a day chock full of new. I think back to some of uh, our, my favorite episodes, and usually it's episodes that even if we didn't think it was the greatest album of all time, it's when we had a lot of new things to say. Or that when we usually had to go, is my, the challenging work. When we have to go, okay, play that back again, play that back again, go back five seconds, go back five seconds, because you just, you just can't understand that note that moment or something like that. And as difficult as that is, it obviously that's the point. If it challenges in order to try and simply convey the album i mean that's that's a, a pure success on on the part of the artist i mean to essentially avoid description and and accomplish what music has long sought out to do and evade words i mean i'm an advocate for challenge in life i mean it's very easy to stagnate in in life in general musically or or just in perspective or in personality stagnation can be comfortable but ultimately it, it will let you down like in a professional career working a job where you're doing the same thing every day and you're not really being challenged you will grow out of it or be bored by it I recently started and I don't even know if I've said this on the podcast but I recently started for working for the company Mozilla yes they make Mozilla Firefox they make other stuff too what I like about my new job is that every day there's a new challenge there's something else I have to work on I'm scrambling to get certain things done Sure, I could sit in an office all day and do nothing, but th th what's the point? And that's something, it actually makes me really sympathetic to uh, aged artists, aged musicians. You know, they're getting up there, they've been doing the same thing since they were in their 20s, teens, and they are expected to continue doing the same thing by the labels, by uh, their, the venues that host them. And I, a lot of them, a, a good lot of them, try to really break out and do something uh, bizarre, enter a different project, combine with different artists just to try to challenge them and keep them going. Uh, I remember that was the experience we actually had with uh, Chick Corea on episode 57, Chick Corea and the Vigil, and he gave a really thoughtful interview about how, well, as a jazz artist, he's always being put in different environments with new jazz musicians, uh, many much younger than himself, and that's what keeps his brain working. And certainly what I got from that album, The Vigil, is, is that, well, it's a wholly new Chick Corea record. It's not even anything I can necessarily compare to older Chick Corea works. It, it was something fresh. It was the space jazz, as we kept going back to. Um, that's amazing, considering, you know, he's getting up there. He was a, a big shot in the 70s. Um, he was pushing the, the, the forefront of, of jazz at the time, and he's still kind of doing it. But a lot of artists don't get that same kind of leeway. Uh, normally, their jazz gets a little bit of a, a, a pass because, well, jazz artists are constantly, constantly expected to work with different people. But there are some old rockers that are just stuck in a single rut. And even if they want to break out of it, normally there's a lot of naysayers in the public that would just, you know, harass them for even tempting something different. Like, what is this? This is not what I grew up on. This is not what I go back to you for. It's a real shame that we, we eschew that that kind of thing well it comes back to people thinking they own and they kind of do but they own the art that's released i think that it's important to keep in mind in life and especially when we're talking about music which at the end of the day is what this is about challenge every perspective you have about the arts whatever it is if you think something's bogus well try and articulate why i mean the reason i started crash chords in the first place was to just articulate why i listen to music and why i like it 
And you can find that there's a lot in life that you didn't understand until you articulate what you do or don't like about something or why it challenges you. A good rule to live by is that the arts loathes redundancy. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think there's a good place to start our final wrap-up of the episode. Um, Steve, do you have a spam for us? I do have a spam for you. You want to hear a spam, or are you just saying that? Oh, I never want to hear it, but at this point, the gag's been running so long that why stop now? Well, it's a, it's a tradition, and we can't break with tradition. Not unless we have actual real fan mail. Yeah, well, there's that. Right. Well, then I give you this. Opulium. By Pro Solution Pills. Really? That's it? Upulium. How do you spell that? U-P-P-O-O-U-L-I-M. Actually, so it's not even a Liam, it's just Upulum. Okay. Upulum. Sounds like the noise a Dr. Seussian character would make. It well, sounds... I assume that if it's being sent by ProSolution Pills, it's a kind of drug. But it, it just doesn't even sound like a drug. It sounds like a, an element they just discovered. Like unobtainium. Yeah, exactly. Unobtainium, <laughs> the dumbest name of an element ever. Um, well, no, that it, it's also the tropiest of names. It's true, too. Um, well, that was a thing. Um, yes, it happened just now. M- moving on. Steve, why don't you tell us what we're doing next week? All right. Next week, we will be going back to an artist that, frankly, was maybe my first college experience of music. Actually, no. My, my second college experience of music. Orientation. I was. Uh, I had to learn about Salad Fingers. And that, uh, that, that, that eerie background music. I love Salad Fingers. Everybody loves I know. Salad it's fingers. great. It's but phenomenal. But it's what you still live in 2005. But that night, they hold up. I will say, uh, they hold up. A fish that, uh, in the oven. That guy was, that animator was a creepy dude. Yeah. I hope he's doing something really fulfilling with his life. That's, anyway, um, this is not a pretty, if I'm pretty bizarre sure, tangent. They made creepypasta, or, or at least spawned creepypasta, or like Rule 34 made creepypasta from Salad Fingers. I don't know. So my second experience in college was uh, Ratatat. I don't know, my roommate was just plated as soon as I walked in the door. He's playing Ratatat. I hadn't heard Ratatat before. This was like 2006. And I'm like, okay, this is neat. I dig it. I would like to hear more of this. Um, and I did. Uh, their first album, uh, no, second album, Classics, was pretty amazing. Uh, where are they at now? I'll tell you where they're at. They're at Magnifique. Brand new album, released July 17th. We will be doing that next week. Magnifique. Magnifique. Is it actually pronounced that way, or is it magnifique? That, that, that's, that's actually, that oh, word... no, there's a G there. Magnifique. I don't know. No, I think it actually is magnifique, then. Oh, yeah. Or I'm going to say it is. Magn- yeah, maybe. Well, if we're taking a language and word advice from John, we're in trouble. Yeah. I'm just showcasing my ignorance. Bail, everyone. Just bail it, now. Right. Press stop. I'm telling you. Yeah. All right. Well, on that note, we'll wrap up. Remember, music is life, and life is good. If you enjoyed this and other album analyses, topics, and guests, please subscribe to the Crash Chords Podcast on iTunes, where you can also rate us and review us. For more media, also subscribe to Matt's one-on-one interview series, Crash Chords Autographs. To receive emails on all new content, subscribe at the top of our homepage. Also receive updates by liking us on Facebook, following us on Twitter at Crash Chords Web, our Tumblr, and our YouTube channel. And remember, keep the discussion going, because music is life, and life is good. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to share them in the comment board below each post. Otherwise, email us directly at admin at crashchords.com.